The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, it is uh, great to be able to be with you today. And before we actually jump into today's message, I just want to take a moment and tell you about what is next. Because starting next week, I'm going to be beginning a brand new series for us called Church Is. Um, This series is actually going to take us through the first uh, part, the first half uh, of the book of Acts. And so uh, the beginning of a series is always the best time to actually invite someone to come with you uh, for the first time to church. And this series in particular is going to be a great series for two very different groups of people. The first are all those people who have been going to church for as long as they can possibly remember. And then the second are people who are so brand spanking new to the whole idea of church. They just kind of want to understand what this really is all about and what it is that we actually do here every Sunday morning. And so this is going to be a great series and I hope that you will join us for this and I hope that you will invite someone to come along with you as well. Now today, we're actually finishing up the last message in our series that we've been in for the last several weeks called For the Broken. And so if you have missed any of these messages, I really hope that you go to our website, again, faithtroy.org, and that you catch up on those ones that you have missed. Um, and, and, and this has been a, a series, you know, I hope this has been a good series for you. This has been something I've really loved talking about. And I know that for some of you, this series has been kind of hard because it brings up some memories and some thoughts of, of maybe past hurts and, and different um, past chapters of, of your lives. But, um, but the reason why I, I've loved doing this and the reason why I've, ta- I've loved talking about this series and what we're talking about in this series uh, is because um, something you should know about me, I absolutely love the church. I, I do. I truly love the church. I love especially the, the, the local church. I, I love, um, I love the, the local church, and I especially love this church. I love our church, and I know so many of you, right, you were raised in a church. You were raised in a local church. Some of you were actually raised in this church, and if you know anything about me at all, then one of the things that you know is that I deeply believe, I truly, truly believe that Jesus' church is, in fact, the hope of the world, and so I love the church, and I love our church especially, but at the same time, right, at the very same time, I know and I I get it, I understand, I understand why it is that sometimes people push back, right, against Christianity in in general, why they sometimes push back on the church and why they sometimes even push back on Jesus, but the thing that actually breaks my heart, and I think the thing that breaks so many of your hearts, is that when people actually push back and they resist the church and they resist Jesus for reasons that shouldn't even be reasons to actually resist Jesus and the church. I mean, if you want to resist Jesus, really the only reason you should do that is because you just don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And if if that's where you're at today, I I get it, I understand that, that's a valid point, and, and we can certainly talk about that. Right, but for so many people, um, th- their bad at church experience ha- had nothing to do at, at all with theology. In fact, um, for some of us, if we're honest, right, um, if we disconnected from church at some point in our past, or maybe you're sitting there out right now and you're kind of thinking about disconnecting or, or leaving or walking away from church or from, from following Jesus, um, the, the truth is, right, um, we, we should not, pe- you know, if we're honest, the things that people actually resist about the church and about Jesus are actually things that Jesus himself resisted about the church and about what Jesus would resist about how people perceived him. Because when Jesus showed up and he began to talk about who God is and how God is, what Jesus taught 
what he told us. It was such a stark departure from everything that was thought of as religion in the ancient world, and truthfully, even much of what is thought of or talked about as religion in our world today. Because when Jesus showed up, he did not come to introduce a new religion. He came to introduce a new relationship. When Jesus came into our world, he did not come to establish a place. He came to establish a people. He came to establish a movement. And then somewhere in the 4th century, Pastor Tony talked about this a little bit last week, somehow in the 4th century, right, this, this whole movement um, that was led by a Savior who was actually crucified by Rome, it actually became the legal religion, the official religion of Rome. And then things began to, sh- to change. And, and, and the, the movement that used to be characterized by the simplicity of a resurrected Savior and love one another the way that I have loved you, suddenly that began to take on the shape and the form of religion. And see, the truth is, I want us to change that. And I think that we can. And so I think we should actually try. Right? Because in the very beginning, right, long before there was a place called a church and long before you know, there was a steeple and long before open the doors and see all the people, right, long before there was Sunday school or any all that stuff, right, when you go to the very beginning, right, in the very, very beginning, when you read the accounts, when you actually read the stories of what took place, when it all started, it's just so simple. It's so liberating. Right? It's so what you would hope to find if there really is a God who knows your name. I mean, it's so what you would hope to find if there really is a Heavenly Father up there who wants to have a relationship with you. And I am as convinced as I am of anything that oftentimes it is religion that actually gets in the way of the authenticity that people want to experience with God. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Because just as we've talked about every single week in this series, right, religion, right, religion is always about a system, that determines your standing based on your behavior. Religion is always about answering the question. It's always about the thought, what must I do to keep things right between me and God? Now, here's what makes all this so difficult, right? This is actually a great question initially, Right? This is actually a great question for you to ask yourself in, in the beginning. But in your faith relationship with Jesus, in your growth with Jesus, you have got to move beyond, okay, what is it that I get out of this and how do I keep God happy with me? Because as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we believe, because one of the things that Jesus taught, in fact, one of the things that the people who followed Jesus and wrote about what it is that Jesus taught after he rose from the dead, what they all teach Right? It is that once you have placed your faith in Jesus, once that you believe that Jesus really did die for you, that he rose from the dead, once you believe that, you and God are fine. Right? You're fine. You're good. Right? In fact, the scriptures actually say you have been, we have been reconciled to him. And so for us to actually spend the rest of our lives as followers of Jesus kind of fixated on how do I get God's attention? How do I get God to answer my prayer? What does God think about me? What does God feel about me? How do I get God to tune in to what's going on in my life? The truth is it is nothing but religion talking. And never moving beyond that will actually lead you the wrong way. It will lead you away from maturity in Jesus. 
And so because of the fact that religious thinking right, is always about rules and rituals, and because of the fact that religious thinking is always fixated on answering a question that Jesus has actually already answered for us, right? the truth is religious thinking often leads to exception to the rule kind of thinking. And this is why for many of us, in our experience of, of our relationship with God, we find ourselves asking the question, okay, how close can I get to sin without really making God angry at me? How close can I get to sinning before God turns away or walks away from me? Before I lose God's blessing, before I lose God's favor. And so what happens? Right? Rituals become escape clauses. And see, that is what ultimately uh, produces hypocrites, and that is why people hate the church. Because as long as you stay focused on answering a question that Jesus has already answered, as long as you stay focused on, okay, God, what what do I need to do to keep you uh, focused on me, right? You're mixing religion and Jesus, That's what's going on. You're mixing those two things. In fact, it's a very, very subtle form of self-centered religion that Jesus has actually invited you to abandon completely. And see, the reason why we're talking about this whole series, the reason why we spent all this time talking about this is because of something else that you should know about me. See, I love this generation of people who do not understand that Jesus loves them. I love this generation of students I love this generation of college students. I love this generation of young adults, of married adults, of families, and of seniors who have left the church unnecessarily, and I want them back. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, right, if you're a follower of Jesus, then what you should know is that following Jesus is not centered on you. It is actually centered on the who that you are in relationship with. And see, listen, if you take this one idea, and if you use this idea to be the filter through which you read the teachings of the New Testament, you read the teachings of Jesus and the Gospel, you read the the writings of the Apostle Paul, the writings of Peter, the writings of of Jesus' younger brother James, I'm telling you, the entire New Testament is going to come alive to you in a way that you have never experienced before. And so today, as we wrap up this whole series together, we're going to listen to something that the Apostle Paul has to say to us about this whole subject. Because, see, Paul, above everybody else, understood that this whole Jesus thing, this is not religion 2.0. Because he, above everybody else, saw front and center what happens when you actually blend Jesus and religion together. And so he writes these words to the followers of Jesus who are living in Galatia. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Galatians chapter 5, which if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you is on page 1,815. Now again, the reason Paul wrote what it is that we're about to read together today is because as you know, once the Apostle Paul became a follower of Jesus, he travels all throughout the world planting these little Jesus gatherings everywhere that he went. And some of the people that attended these Jesus gatherings, some of them were Jewish, but most of them were were not Jewish. And so these Jewish and non-Jewish people, they began to mix together. Well, after the Apostle Paul left Galatia, unbeknownst to him, another group of Jesus followers who were Jewish, they happened to come in and they tell these new followers of Jesus living in Galatia that, listen, the Apostle Paul, he didn't give you the whole story. If you want to become a Jesus follower, first you have to become Jewish. Because after all, you know, Jesus is Jewish, right? And Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. 
Messiah after all. And so in reality, Jesus is nothing more than an extension of the Jewish religion. It's all just very logical. Right? And so in these words that the Apostle Paul writes, we actually discover just how extraordinarily emotional he became and how angry, how actually angry the Apostle Paul got when people tried to mix together religious thinking and Jesus thinking. Now, it's in the book of Galatians that we're actually introduced to a group of people that are known as the Judaizers, which is kind of a weird word. It's a New Testament word. And it refers to a group of people who lived at a time. These were followers of Jesus, but they were Jewish followers of Jesus. And they believed that in order for you to follow Jesus, you needed to first convert to, to Judaism, which was very you know, difficult for Gentiles to do. And for you know, all the Gentile men out there, it meant that you, you, know, you had to have a little surgery take place in order before you could follow Jesus. So it was not exactly a, a proposition that they were excited about. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes these words beginning in Galatians chapter 5. And he says this. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right right away, I want you to notice something the Apostle Paul's saying here. This is actually a big idea. He's saying, if your version of following Jesus doesn't make you feel free, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Right? You're doing it wrong. If your version or your experience of following Jesus is not described as freedom, then the Apostle Paul says, listen, there's something wrong with your version of following Jesus. He says this, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, this is important for us to understand because the Apostle Paul, he's not opposed right, to, the, to the process or the procedure of circumcision. That's not what's going on here. right? He's Jewish. He was circumcised. All of Jesus' original followers, they're all Jewish. They were all circumcised, so that's not the problem. The problem is that circumcision in this context, it represents the, the Jewish religion. It represents the Jewish law. It represents all of those things contained within the idea of religion. And that's what the Apostle Paul's problem is. And that, that's why he gets upset about this. He says, you know, circumcision is, is not something that you need to take part in. And in fact, if you're doing that, all you're doing is you're actually embracing religion. And Jesus isn't that. And so consequently, if you are circumcised as an adult, he's saying, you're actually leaving Jesus and you're going back to religion. That's why he says Christ will be of no value to you at all. He picks up in verse 3. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is now obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law, you have been alienated from Christ. Right? Meanwhile, the people who are reading this are thinking to themselves, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. We haven't been alienated from Christ. That's not what's going on here. We're just mixing a little bit of, you know, the old way with the new way. We're just kind of blending these two things together. We haven't been alienated from Christ. And Paul says, no, listen, you don't understand. You don't understand. It doesn't work like that. He says, you have been alienated from Christ, right? And listen to this. He says, you have fallen away. You've actually fallen away from grace. 
Right? Think, think, think about it this way. Imagine this. Right? Imagine this. Imagine if after church you were to come up to me today and you were to say to me, okay, Joe, we are so appreciative for what's going on at this church and for how it's, it's helped our family and helped our kids and everything that's good, that God is doing at Faith. And so just as a token of our appreciation, we want to give you a, a $100 gift card to, to a restaurant so you can go out and, and have a nice night. Now, this is an illustration, not a hint, right? Okay. So let's just, let's just say that, that you, you were to do that. And so I were to say to you, you know, that, that is so nice. You don't need to do that. You, know, I, that's, you don't need to do that. And I say, let me give you $100 for that gift card. And, and you're like, no. Well, we really we want you to have this. We want this to be a gift for you. And I say, okay, well, would you at least let me give you $50 for, for the gift card? And you say, no, we want this to be our gift to you. We really want to just say thank you for everything that, that's ha- happening at the church, everything that God's doing in our family. And I say, okay, I get it, I get it. But would you at least let me give you $25 for the gift card? And so you stop and you think about it for a moment and, and, and you say, okay. That's fine. That's fine, Joe. You can give me, you can give us $25 for the $100 gift card. Now, as soon as that happens, right, this stops being a gift card. It is now a discount card, right? Because what I have done is I have taken the gift out of the card, right? This is huge. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Grace is the defining experience of following Jesus. Grace is God knew everything about you and he chose to love you anyway. Grace is there are no secrets between your heavenly father and you and he refuses, knowing everything that there is to know about you, he refuses to not call you one of his children. Grace is you don't deserve it. Grace is you don't earn it. Grace is you cannot contribute to it. Grace is grace. And listen, the moment Right? The moment that you start trying to earn it through a surgery, through following a certain law, through obeying a certain religious ritual, through law-keeping, through some type of worship, through some style of worship, from something that you do in worship, the moment any of that thinking actually creeps in, the Apostle Paul says, the moment you go into bargaining mode with God, you have fallen away from grace. The moment that you think your Heavenly Father actually looks at you and he says, you know, you did that so perfectly, you did that so rightly, those words that you used were so beautiful, they were so correct, they were so right, that you know what, you're one of my favorites and and you're in, right? The moment that happens, the Apostle Paul says, don't kid yourself, you have fallen away from grace. That's not Jesus. In Christ Jesus, Paul says, verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Right? And again, Paul says, listen, I'm a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day, but that doesn't do me any good anymore. That's not why God loves me. That was religion. This is Jesus, and Jesus is not about religion. And then the Apostle Paul says something that is so extreme. Okay, everybody, eyes up here. Stop reading your Bible. I know you're in church, but stop reading. The Apostle Paul says something in this next statement that is so extreme that if I just stood up here and I just said this to you and I didn't tell you it was actually in here, right? And you just heard these words and I said, this is what this means and I gave you a little illustration and so you should do this and we should do that. You would sit in your seats and and you would think to yourself, okay, he's a little off the deep end on this one. Maybe Joe has kind of flown the, the coop a little bit, 
That's what you would think if you just heard these words of the Apostle Paul, if you didn't know the context of what it is that he's about to say next. And see, listen, if you're sitting there right now and and you are thinking about checking out of church, you're thinking about checking out of Jesus, you're already started to to leave this whole idea of following Jesus, you're just here because you're making somebody happy today, right? My hunch is, my hunch is, is that what the Apostle Paul says next actually addresses the reason why you've left or the reason why you're considering leaving or the reason why maybe even you have stopped following Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul says this. Are you ready for this? The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's like, Paul, have you seen how thick the Bible is? I mean, Paul, do you understand even how thick the New Testament is? And Paul's like, yeah, I wrote most of it. But I'm telling you, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself, which means working it out, right? Working it out, just working it out. Faith expressing itself through Love. He says circumcision and all that circumcision represents, the old way of thinking about things, this whole idea of religion that we've been talking about in this series, that focused question that we just get stuck on of, God, how am I doing? How am I doing? God, forget about them, but how am I doing? God, I did. God, I didn't. God, I'm going to. God, I should. I shouldn't have. Right? All that stuff. Paul says it's all just vertical. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus... If you believe Jesus actually died for you, that he rose from the dead to prove that he really is your Savior, to prove that he has forgiven your sin, then you're good. You're in. Right? Remember what it is that we said two weeks ago. Right? If somebody will die for you, you never have to worry about how it is they feel about you. Right? If somebody will die for you, they are for you. You never have to go to bed one single night of your life staring at your ceiling thinking, okay, what does God actually think about me? How does God actually feel about me? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in, you're good. Right? You don't have to focus on that. What the Apostle Paul says is if you're a follower of Jesus, the thing I want you to focus on is faith expressing itself through love. That is what counts, he says. Verse 7. You were running such a good race. Right? In other words, he says, when I was with you in Galatia, right, before, before all this happened, you were running such a good race. You quit going to the pagan temples. You quit doing all that nasty pagan stuff you, you used to do. You're doing such a good race. You weren't trying to discount the grace that Jesus gave you. Everyone was doing so good. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Right? And then he uses this interesting illustration that some of you can certainly appreciate, I'm sure. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Right? A little yeast, a single-celled fungus. That's what yeast is. So if you had waffles or toast this morning, happy thought, right? A single-cell fungus, right? That's what yeast is. You put some of that, of that into a batch of dough, you walk away, and before long, the whole thing, the whole thing has changed. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. A little bit of religious thinking, a little bit of legalism, a, a little bit of gracelessness, 
a little bit of, you know, how am I doing, how am I doing, forget about them, how am I doing. The Apostle Paul says a little bit of that, it ruins the whole thing. It only takes a small amount of the wrong thing to pollute the entire thing. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. That's his point. And he's saying this Jesus thing, this is new. This is not religion. Right? And then we actually get to the part in, in this letter that shows us just how serious the Apostle Paul actually took this whole idea of mixing Jesus and religion together. And it, we, we see the anger at the, that comes out in the Apostle Paul over this entire issue because he says in verse 12, As for those agitators, right, those Judaizers, those people who came in after me and they polluted the message of the grace of Jesus. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And it's like, Paul, isn't that a little bit much? And the Apostle Paul says, no, listen, you don't understand that's how serious that's how serious all of this is. It's as if the Apostle Paul could, could see into the future about what, what was, what was going to happen. And I'll tell you how he knew. Because the Apostle Paul right, was a Pharisee. Right? He was front and center. He saw firsthand what religion does when religion goes off the rails. The Apostle Paul realized that, listen, you mix in a little bit of religion to a little bit of Jesus, you try to blend these two things together, you're just going to end up losing what's best. Right? It's not going to be 50-50, it's not going to be 80-20, it's going to be 99% religion and 1% Jesus, and people are going to be hurt. Because here's what the Apostle Paul knew. If we focus and we cling to old things, we miss the main thing. If we hold on, we cling to old things, we are going to miss the main thing. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Right? Here's the whole idea of freedom again. But, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. No, rather serve one another in love. He says, listen, if you think that this is all about just do whatever you want to do because, you know, the wheels are off and it doesn't matter anymore and everybody can do whatever they want to do and you can live however you want to live, the Apostle Paul's saying, no, that's not love. Don't miss this. He's saying, listen, if that's what you think, if this is just free, willing, and everybody can do whatever they want to do, you don't actually understand what the main thing is. My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, no, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For, right, for the entire law, right, he's talking about the Old Testament now. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Now, the interesting thing is, is that in the New American Standard Version, which is a more accurate and literal version than the NIV, they translate that as the word fulfill, right? The entire law is fulfilled as in put a check next to it. It's done, right? The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, religion is always focused in this idea, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing? But Jesus says, I shed my blood for you, so we're fine. You're fine. 
were good. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go and look at the who that you are in relationship with. This is why the Apostle Paul would write, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I'm telling you, when you individually, right, when you, when you get this, right, your prayer life is going to take off in a whole new way. When we get this corporately, we're going to see sin. We will see sin in an entirely different way. And I mean, can you just imagine for a moment? I mean, just, you know, think with me just for a moment, just this next week. How different would our world be? I mean, how different would our community be? How different would our nation be? If just us Jesus followers, if we just decided that, you know what, from now on, the only thing that matters, the only thing that really counts is my faith in Jesus expressing itself towards love in other people. Can you imagine what that would be like? Because, see, listen, if you were broken by the church, it wasn't because that church believed in Jesus, was it? And see, that, the Apostle Paul says, is why you cannot blend religion with Jesus. That's why you cannot mix these two things together. Because the moment that we get obsessed with this idea, okay, of God, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? It's in that moment that we actually take our eyes off the people who matter most to our Heavenly Father. So what would this look like for you this week? In your life? What would it look like in your life if in every interaction that you have, every conversation that you have, every single temptation that you actually face in the coming week, what would it look like to just simply ask the question, in this situation, what does love require of me? In this situation I am in right now, what does love require of me? See, this is the question that will actually lead you to maturity in Jesus. And this is the question that will transform the lives of every single person that your life interacts with. And I'm telling you, this is the essence. This is the essence of following Jesus. And again, if you think this is simple, if you think this is too, you know, easy, if you're sitting there and you think, okay, it's watered down. All you're doing is you're watering it all down. Right? If that's where you're at this morning, okay? I hear you. All I would tell you is that when your Heavenly Father asked this question, it cost him his son. When your Savior asked this question, it cost him his life. And then he looked at us and he says, now follow me. Follow me. And the way that you do that, the way that we do that, is by simply asking this question, And then acting on the answer. What does love require of me? And I'm telling you, this is the question. Right? And again, if you're sitting there and you're still skeptical about all this and you just don't know, how, you know, can, how do you reduce that down? How do, you, how do you reduce all of this down to just that one question? I'm telling you, Jesus himself answered that question when he said this. When the Son of Man, 
comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Right? This is where we began today. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, this is Jesus, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or needing clothes? When did we see you, Jesus, sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least, of my brothers and sisters, of mine, you did for me. And to honor God, I'm going to love you. And the more difficult you are to love, the more honoring it is to God that I love you. What does love require of me? This changed the world once. And it can change it again. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, thank you for actually asking that question. What does love require of me? Jesus, thank you for acting on that very same question. What does love require of me? And Jesus, for every single one of us who sit here or stand here today and we benefit from a Savior who has sacrificed himself for us because of love for us, we benefit from living in a nation where people would sacrifice themselves for strangers. Jesus, I pray that as your followers as people who identify themselves with you and by your name. Jesus, I pray that we would do exactly what you did, not perfectly, not correctly all the time, not consistently all the time, but that we would actually follow you, that we would ask this question, and that we would truly seek to live out that answer that we would honor you, that we would honor our Heavenly Father by loving people, not in our name, not in this church's name, but Jesus in your name. And that we would always remember that fear and shame and guilt are powerless over us. No matter what kind of brokenness we have, no matter how that brokenness was caused, but fear and shame and guilt are powerless over us because they are powerless over you. And Jesus, your promise, it never fails. 
And so we ask that you would help us to never go back to our old ways of thinking about religion and being focused simply on ourselves. Because Jesus, we know that's not going to lead us to the maturity that you want for us as your people. And Jesus, we are your church. And Jesus, you are the hope of this world. So we simply ask that you would make us into people who reflect your love, who live out that love, and that we would always remember that what fear and shame and guilt try to do in us, that has been defeated, that is over, that is done. Because you, Jesus, are risen.